Taxpayer Talks is brought to you by Texans for Fiscal Responsibility and is made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. If you want to support our work, you can visit texastaxpayers.com slash donate to make a tax-deductible contribution today. Thank you. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Taxpayer Talks. My name is Tim Harden, president of Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, here with our executive director, Jeremy. How you doing? Doing all right. Doing okay, man. All right. Well, hey, we are getting very, very close to the House deadline. Of course, we have been analyzing, really at this point, hundreds of bills a day. Uh, in the House, they have a self-imposed deadline, which is midnight on Thursday. Uh, this will be airing on Thursday. We record on Wednesday. And so um, there is a lot going on. So uh, why don't you kind of give us a breakdown, Jeremy, of your thoughts on what's left? What are we possibly going to get to? What has died? Uh, where are we at right now? I mean, I guess it kind of depends on the lens you look at it through. Obviously, we're talking specifically about the House because the Senate doesn't really operate under the same self-imposed deadlines. It's not hurting cats or anything. Um, I think on the House side, uh, what we saw most recently last night, you said we're recording this on Wednesday, was this, and, and we'll talk about it more here in a second, the demise, if you will, of House Bill 20, which is a feeling priority. It's a it's a Governor Abbott priority related to border security. Um, the overall bill died on account of a point of order. I'm sure we'll get into that here in a second. Um, we've seen the postponement now twice uh, due to successful points of order uh, for uh, Senate Bill, was it Senate Bill 12? Um, I, I guess related to gender modification um, uh, procedures and prohibiting such things. Um, of course, that is a Senate bill, so it's not necessarily subjected to the the deadline on Thursday. In fact, it's been calendared, right? It's the only bill on a calendar for Friday. Um, but outside of that, if I had to kind of summarize what's been done leading up to the, the, the deadline thus far in the House, it's been a bunch of corporate welfare and growing government, right, more than anything else. Um, I'm not entirely sure that there's a lot of conservative priorities that I can I can point to specifically. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I think you said SB twelve, or you probably meant SB fourteen. Yeah, that's um, what I did. I confuse uh, it. <laughs> For, forgive us. All of the uh, the bills are getting mixed up in our heads. SB twelve's in a committee, which uh, Jeremy and I are both watching this morning, and that's so right. I do quite often. Um, but I think you're right. I think that there's really nothing in that list of bills that are must passes, right? Which is, I, I, I guess, you know, good, you know, because when the, the Democrats come up to Chubb, uh, whatever they're going to do, if they're even going to Chubb, because there's not much conservative legislation there, all that's going to die is corporate welfare, expansion of government, Medicaid expansion, uh, just a bunch of like little nitpicky trash bills, basically. Uh, and, and to your point on HB 20, and, and, and maybe, you know, we need to talk about that because that's the biggest that's the biggest story. Right. So, uh, like I said, we are recording on Wednesday, uh, Tuesday night. They went all the way until 2 a.m. I believe a point of order was called around what 11 o'clock last night uh, and it uh, essentially killed HB 20. And so since we are so, so close to that deadline, what a point of order does essentially is it sends it back to the calendar or excuse me, back to the committee and they have to, you know, fix the bill up and then send it to calendars and place it on a calendar. Well, they've already placed the last house calendar on Thursday. So aside from, you know, maneuvers that quite honestly, they do do sometimes, which is just suspending rules and, and bringing it back up aside from something, you know, kind of lawless like that happening. Um, the bill's dead. And uh, what they did is they put some provisions from that bill in Guillen's bill, which is HB7, is that correct? 
That's and right. So uh, the, what I understand is what's what's missing out of the bill is there's you know you, you're they're not able to deputize people, and I think the most problematic thing is I believe it it relies on what the commissioner's court uh, in order for um, the, basically them to implement a certain portion. It's of restrictive. The bill. That's right. Yeah, and so uh, and so obviously in the valley right where the border is, we have a lot of Democrat controlled uh, commissioner courts, and so uh, it would be very unlikely that they would be willing. Uh, to to implement the very very strong language in HB twenty, uh, and so we you know there is a few provisions, but for the most part, uh, it's pretty toothless, uh, and it looks as though if we're wanting a strong border bill passed. Uh, it looks like we're going to have to go to a special session and that's going to be completely up to Greg Abbott. Uh, what are your thoughts, Jeremy? Yeah. I mean, so it's important to write, you know, this was a declared emergency item of governor Abbott's, right? He had three bills. Um, it's important to highlight that this was kind of the only thing that the house was doing that the Senate really wasn't too, right? So like the failure on the house house leadership's part here, um, is certainly palpable, right? And there were three border security bills, large border security bills that were declared priorities of, of Dade Phelan's up on yesterday's calendar as you talked about i don't want to be long-winded here you know so on tuesday night was the midnight or was the deadline uh for committees right to pass out house bills to be considered on the calendar so the fact that they were even considering these like large these huge priority bills on the last day um should should kind of raise eyebrows for a lot of folks who wanted to see some of these things be implemented, right? House Bill 20, to be clear, was kind of the larger of, of the larger bill of all the packages in that it establishes this new kind of idea of called the BPU, the Border Protection Unit, right? Which is these kind of deputized folks that get law enforcement powers, right, to help patrol the border and whatever whatever area is kind of deemed necessary by this commission that gets stood up right uh for border protection it's uh, it kind of complements the already ongoing state approach right to border security um you know eventually the the national guard that's currently there would kind of be withdrawn right and you replace this sort of thing and and you know any of these kind of border security bills that always come up every session there's always these kind of like uh there's a lot of pushback um if you will from democrats but you know it it's the, the the biggest takeaway for me was the fact that as a priority bill, they waited all the way until the end of the legislative session to consider this. Um, if Republicans, especially Republicans in the House, were serious about securing the border, right, pushing back against the federal government's reluctance to do so, they would have certainly prioritized this earlier on in the session. And so, you know, a lot of people are going to blame Democrats for bringing a successful point of order last night, but the reality is it falls on Republicans, specifically House Republican leadership um, on this thing. That The only other thing I'll say to this in response to this is House Bill 7, which you said, of course, that, that part of the provisions of House Bill 20 got put into yesterday uh, was ultimately a bill, I think it was like the 10-year mandatory minimums, right, for, for trespassing and that sort of thing. And it also was largely a bill that kind of logistically put a lot of the kind of prioritized uh, equipment, resources, and stuff like that into communities that would have needed, so, uh, needed it. And so, you know, for germaneness issues, they were only able to put a portion of House Bill 20 in it. But still, it's it's kind of weak need, right? I mean, if anything, the governor can still declare an invasion, absolutely should. Um, and that would be, I think, 
arguably more effective than what these bills, assuming they even make it through the Senate, uh, do. Uh, lastly, again, on the Senate side, there haven't really been a border security approach from the Senate, right? Dan Patrick has prioritized a whole bunch of other priorities, uh, which are certainly worthwhile to talk about at some point, but uh, there wasn't really a border security uh, priority named in the Senate that, that kind of already passed. And so this is like the one and done house uh, sort of thing. And so it failed yesterday, pretty much. Yeah, I'll, I'll echo you there. I, I, you know, the the criticism that I have for the Senate is why on earth would you not have a, a border security bill? We're just going to trust the House who has proven themselves to be completely untrustworthy when it comes to these things, especially when we know Phelan came into power by lying with Democrats. And you, I think you hit the nail on the head. There's really only one reason I can think of why they would bring this bill up so, so late very likely. And of course, this is speculation, but I would assume it's probably true. Uh, the reason they brought it up is this was a deal with Democrats, right? So feeling, you know, the Democrats, quote unquote, need a win. Uh, and in order for feeling to maintain his power over the House, he needs that Democrat caucus. And so if you think that there's not promises made to the Democrat caucus on when bills are going to be brought up and, uh, you know, basically strategic things that can help Democrats go to their base and say, hey, look, we did something um, that absolutely happens. And there's just no reason, no logical reason why you would bring this priority legislation up that has that Texans have been screaming about for years as Title 42 is about to end um, and uh, just hope that it, it crosses the finish line. Right. And of course, it did not. Now, the praise I can uh, you know, give to the Senate, which is they don't do this right. Uh, their priority legislation, pretty much every single session, it gets pushed out within the first couple of weeks of session. Um, those that are governor priorities obviously go first and then, you know, the, the, the ones follow after that. And so after that, they're pretty much done after the I'd say about a month into voting bills up the floor, all their priority bills are through and they're just sitting over there waiting in the House. And so the fact that the House does not do this should raise eyebrows. And so, you know, the the two mistakes are, you know, the Senate should never trust the House to pass, uh, you know, legislative priorities, especially for the majority part of GOP. They should always bring their own. They do this on property tax. They did this on, you know, some of the gender modification stuff. And so I don't see why border security is any different. Um, now, to your point, I think, you know, when we talk about how do we solve the border crisis, what we've been doing uh, for the last few cycles is, you know, just throwing money at the situation, you know, been spending billions of dollars on Project Lone Star, which has been an abysmal failure. And then this was, you know, an attempt to do something uh, very similar. Now, I, I think there's stronger provisions uh, that were in HB 20 that probably could have helped more. But ultimately, am I convinced that this was going to solve the border crisis? No. It's not. And I think the 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 only real solution that would actually secure our border is Texas taking up this idea of radical decentralization from the federal government uh, under the idea of the 10th Amendment and nullification and basically saying, hey, listen, we have that there is nothing in the Constitution that does that that enumerates um, to the federal government that they have to be the one to secure the border. Right. The, the states absolutely do have this right. And we absolutely could do this. Now, it, it's, going, it's going to take a strong governor. It's going to take someone to say, you know what, we're tired of all of these basically criminals coming across the border. And so we are going to go ahead and just build our own wall. We're going to create our own security force that has the power to deport and repel. And the federal government will do nothing. 
if that is is a, the, their their only option, if Texas decides to do that, I mean, they can they can go to the courts, they can do whatever they want. But ultimately, if Texas is dead set on securing its border, the only thing the federal government can do is send troops down here to basically try and force Texas to do something. I think we all know that they're not going to do that. They don't even have the manpower to do that. And so, and I would imagine that Texas would have a massive groundswell of support from all of our neighboring states, especially the red ones. And so if if we really want to secure our border, if we really want to accomplish what, you know, uh, specifically Republican Party of Texas, uh, who is in control of the legislature, has asked, then we need a declared invasion and we need to just step up and secure the border ourselves. I don't think any of these other gimmicks are going to work. Um, and I, I think you know, even if we call a special session and we have HB20, we're, it, it, the situation will be improved, but it will not be solved. And so I think we need to have a more serious conversation about um, states' rights, state sovereignty, uh, and the problems of the federal government. I, I think the last thing I would say on this, because I think it's important to highlight timing, right, is that right now, like kind of the irony, the sobering reality, not being hyperbolic, of, of this happening right now is that title 42 right is about to meet its end what a year later after it was originally it's, it's about to be done we you've reports all over right of like basically just these these caravans waiting right for for this to be rescinded to come over the fentanyl crisis has never been larger than it already is right and the shame is is that the thing that could have at least stifled some of that right failed last night right i think i, I think that's not being hyperbolic and even if the governor calls a special legislative session, that won't take place until after Title 42, right, is rescinded. And so we've 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 kind of there's no stopping what is going to happen. Yeah. Um, I think is the biggest shame. And to not see Republicans, specifically Republican leadership, but any Republican in the House of Representatives, even like push back right against their bill tying last night is just a travesty. It's an absolute travesty. And the fact again that they let it come up at the end of the legislative session, I think speaks volumes. Yeah, I think, you know, you know, Schaefer being the the chair of the Freedom Caucus and, you know, what the Freedom Caucus is supposed to stand for, which is amplifying the voices of the grassroots, specifically the party they represent, the Republican Party and their priorities. They've been pretty quiet and they've been, you know, good little representatives. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves the question, what did this accomplish? Like what what was any member of the Freedom Caucus able to pass uh, because of, you know, their quietness, like budget night, obviously, just complete crickets and silence for the most part throughout all of session, complete silence from the Freedom Caucus. And now here we are, who has passed landmark legislation out of the Freedom Caucus and what win did they get? Um, and it's not to pick on the Freedom Caucus, but they're the ones that claim, proclaim to be the representatives of the, you know, the party's priorities and things like that. And so uh, I think criticism is deserved. And I think maybe we need a change in strategy. Uh, you know, and I think there needs to be internal conversations within that caucus of, is this actually working? Can we actually trust leadership? I think the answer is absolutely no. Um, now to kind of pivot to, um, uh, property tax relief. You know, we we haven't heard a lot about that in the last month because you know everything's been drowned out with the gender modification stuff and the the border stuff. But um, we're about to have to start thinking about doing something. Uh, and of course, we've had this this meme war between Dan Patrick and Dade Phelan. Dan Patrick calling you know Dade Phelan California Dade, and then Dade just released this video where uh, Patrick was in support of uh, appraisal caps, right? And so this is kind of this back and forth, but ultimately, you know, some people, you know, chuckle at it. 
and, and I would laugh at it if it wasn't such a serious issue. Uh, and, and ultimately what this is is a big distraction. Right. Uh, they've both chambers have been using fuzzy math. I think we co covered, you know, the the 28 or 27 billion, whatever Trump said. And we come to find out that they're using the reason that Trump said, uh, you know, Patrick and the Senate are offering 27 billion dollars is because they use even more fuzzy math to say this is what would be saved over the life of an average mortgage 30 years. Right. And so they're they're just, they're lying. I don't, I, I mean, I could, I could dumb it down, but they're lying about what's going on. And so the reality is neither package, whether it's a Senate package or the house package provides what has been promised, which is historic property tax relief. We've talked about this ad nauseum. 14.2 is the current record. They're, they're trying to go for at least 15, but of course they're using 5.3 in old compression, which uh, brings us to about 10 to 12 uh, inflation adjusted, which you know, we beat this dead horse a lot too, right? But they've adjusted their pensions twice for inflation. They've adjusted all state agencies for inflation. They adjusted their staff salaries for inflation. Everything in the government gets adjusted for inflation. But you, the taxpayer and homeowners, we don't get that same courtesy. And so they're not going to actually adjust that 14.2 for inflation because that would put us over 20 billion. And then it raises the stakes even more. And they would have to create probably even more fuzzy math to, to lie to us and tell us that, hey, you know, uh, we're providing this much. Or, you know, the, the simplest solution would be, hey, we have a $33 billion surplus. And so if we used 90% of that surplus, which many Republican lawmakers filed bills to do just that, it's a plan we've supported since the special session where Tom Oliverson brought this concept. Guess what? None of those bills got hearings. Uh, so they're just sitting there. Uh, but we had this big stack of taxpayer dollars that was overcollected from taxpayers. And the promise yet again from lawmakers and leaders was, uh, we're going to give this back to y'all because it's your tax money. Well, guess what? They haven't. Uh, there's still about 17 billion currently. As we, we haven't seen the final budget just sitting out there in the ether that that nothing's being done with. And of course, they're only offering about a third of that in property tax relief. And so, you know, uh, for those who are entertained by by the memes, you know, I I'm a huge meme fan, uh, and and I'm I'm happy to laugh. But what's what's going on with property taxes is not funny, and I'm starting to worry whether we're going to get anything at all. Uh, and even if we do, it certainly will be lackluster. And so I think uh, the final thought is, you know, if even if we pass the House's package or the Senate package. Do not believe them when they tell you that they provided the largest property tax cut in history, unless we're going to be over $20 billion. I think ultimately, for those that have seen the meme back and forth and just the these like kind of paid for ads and the very obvious getting President, former President Trump to like wade into something he probably never would have waded into otherwise with kind of these disingenuous numbers, right? All of this just continues to show that our leaders, our elected leaders in the state of Texas are not serious. They're not serious people, right? And they're not serious about providing relief to taxpayers um, in a form that's tangible, right? And in, 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 in something that they can they can actually feel that's real. Um, they just wanna continue, uh, continue the problem and continuing uh, continue to kick the can down the road. I think it's, it's an absolute travesty, it's a shame. Um, they should be absolutely ashamed. And frankly, like, you know, I, whether we, whether something does come out before the end of session or not, going into a would-be special session, right, if we have to, if the governor makes it another priority, um, as he, you know, he did, I'm using air quotes this time, but seemingly isn't really fighting for anything um, that, that he said, 
uh, regarding the largest property tax cut in history. They squandered a historic opportunity with the, not only the budget surplus, but additional money right above and beyond the budget surplus uh, that Texas is blessed to have uh, due to a successful economy in the midst of all this kind of government you know, hoopla, if you will, in the midst. And so I think that's the biggest takeaway for me. There's a lot of issues this session, but for me, it would be an absolute travesty and it looks more and more like it'll be a reality that taxpayers will not get tangible tax relief um, out of this session. Yeah, I think when you when you ask most folks, of course, you know, we're good friends with Bill Peacock over the Huffines Liberty Foundation and uh, Vance Ginn, a PhD economist, works with us as well. Uh, I think the general consensus is this is one of the worst sessions in recent memory. And we're talking decades. You know, I think Bill Peacock made the comment, it, you know, about what, 89 or 90. This is the worst he's seen as far as fiscal irresponsibility. Um, you know, not only that, we're not. We're not going to get uh, historic property tax relief. Uh, doesn't look like we're going to secure our border, right? And so, um, and then we've we've passed massive amounts of corporate welfare, billions and billions and billions of dollars. Not just one, not just HB five, but we have HB thirty six hundred and tons of other bills that are giving mainly subsidies to like woke Hollywood, like entertainment based and music based things. We've expanded Medicaid. We have grown government so much this session that overall I would give the the session a fiscal F, like a failure. We have done a horrible job, which of course um, we're going to be giving grades to legislators as well uh, coming up with, uh, with a good pitch for the um, the index. And so uh, for those that don't know, our main flagship is the fiscal responsibility index. And so everything I just named, all of the bad legislation there, they went on the record. And so many, many uh, Republicans and of course, Democrats, and even people who call themselves conservatives have voted for uh, more government consistently. And so uh, this being one of the worst legislative sessions, there have been some good guys, of course, in both chambers. Um, but I would I would assume that the average for most people are probably going to go down. We have at this point not you know selected the exact. We usually give no. We give hundreds of notices. About we're at about two hundred in the House and about a hundred and fifty something like that in the Senate. Ultimately, we'll probably choose about a hundred uh, out of each chamber, kind of the most significant votes, uh, and then the index is based on that. And so that is going to be released on June nineteenth. It is an amazing tool, especially as we head into the primary season for people to understand where your representative is at when it comes to size of government, uh, the concept of limited government, who supports a free market, who who supports government intervention uh, and, and the government picking winners and losers. This is what um, the index really tells us, right? Which who is consistently voting for less government, who is consistently voting for more government. And so we just want to keep you all uh, you know, aware uh, that we're only a few weeks away, maybe about a month away from releasing that. And of course, we'll be talking about it quite a bit. Uh, but we encourage you all to use this index when it comes out as we head into primary season, because I think it's become very, very apparent that uh, you know the reps that we have in the legislative uh, bodies, both the House and the Senate, um, it's very hard to make them do the right thing. And so uh, sometimes we can uh, through pressure, but the easier thing to do is just get the bad people out, right? And so if you're a, a failure on the fiscal index, uh, I would just say replace that person, right? And so hopefully we can be a resource to folks uh, and hopefully we can help sway some, uh, some elections when it gets into the primary season. Just a few weeks left, so we're coming up on a bunch of deadlines. So hang in there for for folks that subscribe and kind of 
view and listen to our content. I mean, there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff that happens over the next two or three weeks. Um, I guess session ends Monday, May 29th. And, you know, this happens every session. There's always talk of a special session. We'll know more as we get uh, as we get closer. Well, we thank you all for being with us. Uh, we hope we were helpful and help you keep informed. Of course, be back with us next go round as the House kind of pivots to Senate bills and we start getting conference committee reports and all of that's coming up in the next few weeks as we wind session down. Thank you all very much. Have a great day and we'll see you next week.